take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Nina. Hey, how are you? Good, yourself? I'm good. Nina, near and far on Instagram. Uh, thanks for coming on. Pleasure to meet you. Thanks for having me here. You're welcome. Um, I mean, you have a, I guess, a ton of things <laughs> kind of on the go, eh? Yep. Uh, student, uh, local Ottawa blogger. Is that how you define it, I guess? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah? What else do you have on the go here? Because uh, your profile is just... Psh- <laughs> uh, I would say it all falls into those two categories, right. but within blogging, there's photography, there's writing, there's different things on the go, and then in school, there's my own research, mm-hmm. assignments, being a TA. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm really interested about the blogger, and we're definitely going to get to your your, uh, your studies, because I find that very fascinating as well, but a thing that really interests me, um, you know... With co- being in a content business and a, a content kind of, I mean, not only with my real job, but with the podcast and stuff and building a following and everything like that. Like, how did you fall into doing this? Like, was this like a goal? Like, were you like, I want to be the person like people go to to find out what's happening? Or was it just kind of by accident? And you're like, oh, wow, people are <laughs> starting to follow me. It was a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I had gone to... Puerto Rico on a trip with my boyfriend a few years ago and when I got back I was in a travel themed Facebook group for young adults and just to be helpful I posted up our Puerto Rico itinerary and the administrator of the Facebook group came back and said hey can you write this up as a blog post for our website and I was like sure but also I'm gonna make my own blog so it started off sharing my travel photos and content from places that I had been. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that happened kind of naturally is because I was a full-time student at the time, I had a part-time job. I travel a few times a year, but mostly I'm here in Ottawa and most of my pictures and content are from here in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And so that's who I was connecting with on Instagram. That's who was following me. So I started to kind of just lean into that a little bit more and, and focus on what was naturally happening. So if you scroll back in my profile, the first year you'll see alternating photos from all different countries, but then it starts to become more and more Ottawa-based with occasional short trips in different okay. places. Um, like, I mean, how did you see it kind of take off in, was it like a steady growth or was there a point where all of a sudden you're like, it just skyrocketed? Because you know, I know a lot of people who, who come in and, and work for me, they're, you know, they, they come from a bunch of backgrounds, but kind of like the hot thing to be right now is to be, quote unquote, a content creator, mm-hmm. a, an, an influencer, if you will. Like People want to work for themselves, kind of doing what they want to do. Um, and, you know, Instagram seems to be one of the ways, the big ways that people are trying to do it. Um, I mean, so if one of those are listening, like how did you kind of all of a sudden be like, you know, what? wow, this is like, people are actually responding to me. They're engaging. My followers are going through the roof. Like, what was that kind of like was, for you? There's never been a moment of followers going through the roof. It's been fairly steady in that respect. Okay. Uh, and to be honest, considering how much effort and work I put into it, the follower count number 
actually is not what I would expect Mm -hmm. at this point. Earlier this year, I actually made a deal with myself that I was going to leave Instagram if I didn't hit 10,000 followers by the end of the year. Oh, wow. Because I just wasn't seeing it as being a value Mm -hmm. to me to keep doing it. But things really started to change last spring when I started getting companies that were interested in partnering with me. People starting to understand the value of small creators having really engaged audiences and good connections. Whereas a year ago, people were like, oh, you don't have 10,000 or you don't have 20,000 and they would brush me off. So it was kind of earlier this year that companies, even large ones like Ford, were very happy with the engagement and the audience that I had. So that's been a really nice shift Mm -hmm, in the industry mm -hmm. is that people see the value of of your your content and and who you're connecting with not so much necessarily the big numbers now but that was something that even even i didn't see before yeah so that's been great things i think from a business perspective really took off earlier this year so i'd already been on instagram and doing the blog for about two years when that really started to happen and one of the big shifts recently starting like two months ago is there seems to be this new trend where now people will tag me when they go places, which is oh, great. Wow. So now I'm getting selfies and messages and tags and stuff. So I can actually see that people are using the content. Whereas before I was just kind of putting it out there and hoping mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. were using the content. Now I know that they are. Yeah. Yeah. That must be like, do you, I want to say like c- celebrity, but like local celebrity, like do you ever kind of like get that feeling like, wow, people like someone I don't even know is now using my name and thinking of me when I'm, they're going on their adventures and like, it must be a a weird, interesting kind of like, Oh, like cool. Yeah. A little (laughs) bit. It's not something I think about a whole lot. Often the people who do stuff like that are people who have interacted with me a lot before. So I kind of have a sense of who they are and I like to always check people's accounts to get at least their first name. If they're people who message or comment on stuff regularly. So it's not, so isolated like hey cameron to 101 like yeah exactly <laughs> nice photo smiley yeah. face <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um that's it's it, it's interesting that you you mentioned before that there was a turn of like local businesses or maybe not even necessarily local business but but i think until you said that even my perception was that you know yeah if you don't have fifteen thousand followers like don't even bother but now businesses are taking instead of just likes because you know some i've always thought it's like wow yeah they have 100 million followers but like how many people are actually meaningfully interacting it's mm-hmm. not just commenting daddy or fire emojis or whatever or you know taking pictures of your butt or something and getting that it's meaningful engagement yeah that that's really interesting to me that like businesses are starting to to notice that they are and there's this new idea of looking at engagement like as a percentage and as a what kind of comments are being left on your post and are people tagging their friends to let them know about something and now that companies are considering that I have in many cases actually higher engagement than very large accounts because people are responding to it they're leaving sincere comments they're interested and there's a lot of really big accounts in terms of follower accounts you can go on that don't necessarily mm-hmm. have that mm-hmm. did you like learn about that like do you pay attention to like trends and, and social media kind of you know today it's putting hashtags like you know those trends that are to build accounts that kind of everyone follows as it, as mm-hmm. it goes 
you know, do, do you follow that stuff? Did you study this in school or is it like something you've kind of like learned on as you go and just like throwing something at the wall and seeing if it sticks or not? It's it's more throwing stuff and seeing if it sticks because I found that that kind of strategizing was never effective. Mm-hmm. You know, I went through that phase where I tried to like color code my feed and I oh. went through the phase <laughs> where I changed up the hashtags all the time and nothing ever was resulting in a different outcome. Mm-hmm. The only thing that seems to matter, and people will criticize the new algorithm, but the great thing about the way Instagram shows posts now is it just does it based on that one photo and how good that one piece of content is. And so for small creators, it's a really great opportunity. So I find if you just make sure that each individual thing that you're posting holds up on its own and provides some kind of value to the the audience, then that's that's the best way to do it. That's interesting because that's one of the hardest things like I'm finding, you know, just with this podcast in itself, it's trying to find a way to promote a podcast when all I'm really doing is posting new episodes for the most part. I mean, I work in a in an industry where I, I talk, like I learn about social media and we find out what's working and, and stuff like that. But it... Uh, to most of my knowledge for like a new account and a new person who has like no sort of following or whatever that's trying to build like organic growth is it, at least has been said that it's been pretty much dead like it's really hard to catch that fire and all of a sudden be the next big influencer mm-hmm. or the next big sensation like you know just to be found i find like that that's one of the hardest things now and really all we really have for the most part is social media to promote whatever our projects are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My strategy, the only one that I have is basically with every post, I ask myself what value there is for someone in this particular post. Are they going to get things to do? Is it a travel tip? Is it some kind of personal insight into my life that maybe will resonate with them? And there has to be something like that in the content on Instagram itself Mm -hmm. every single time. And then I have the flexibility to sometimes say, hey, go check out this blog post. And then that feeds into that as well, as long as I'm consistently making sure that Instagram itself has value. Do you start, have you started to think of yourself more as like a a brand, like yourself? Like, so you have the blog, you have Instagram. Like, are you now all of a sudden thinking like, okay, like, do I start branching off for better business deals? Like, am I going to go on YouTube? Am I like Twitter? Whatever, Snapchat, whatever the kids use, TikTok. Um, all those I tried TikTok. <laughs> I tried TikTok. Um, it's cute, but it's a whole other style of content creation, yeah. which I'm not willing to put the time in to, to get good at. Um, I have Twitter. I, as a general rule, do not really like video content. Mm. So YouTube is not for me. I don't go on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I've been on it myself in a couple of years. It's not, I don't like consuming it, which means I probably wouldn't be good at making it. So I focus on photography and the writing. And what a lot of people don't realize too, is they, people see the Instagram account because they engage with it constantly. Mm -hmm. But the blog is actually much, much bigger than my Instagram account. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's much bigger. And uh, a very, very small percent of my blog traffic, blog traffic is coming from Instagram and the rest is coming from search engine optimization and Pinterest and things like that. Oh, interesting. What's the what's the blog? Is it the same as Instagram? Yeah, it's the same. Nina Near and Far. Yeah. His website? Yep. 
plug yeah. that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, to answer your previous question in terms of thinking of my myself as the brand, the more it goes, the more I actually feel it's separate. I refer to Nina Near and Far as if it's its own entity now, whereas before I felt like it was it was me. Yeah. Now, especially as I move on further into my master's degree, Nina Near and Far feels like a, a project and like its own business. And I'll even talk about it in the third person when I'm in my stories and stuff. Like I'll refer oh, to this is on Nina Near and Far and this is what Nina Near and Far does. Like, mm-hmm. whereas before I was like, this is what I'm doing. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess if you're looking at it long term and things can change and like you already said, within a year, you already sort of had different plans. But what what people tell what people say now is you need to like pretty much have your whole life as whatever the project is that you're trying to do if you're trying to make it this so what it seems to me is you're like okay like i recognize that this is just kind of like a fun hobby and do this but like your passion is still in what you're doing like going for as a career it's not all of a sudden you're gonna be like i'm just gonna drop out of school and and be a and and i'll just say influencer even though that might not be the right term oh no that's fine i think at this (laughs) point enough people call me an influencer i kind of just have to live with that uh no so for me i refer to it as a hobby business okay. i do make fairly good return mm. on on what i do which is great not many people get to have their hobby fund itself yeah, and then some exactly so that's that's awesome but first and foremost i love being a scientist and i i don't think i'd be very happy if i let that part go mm-hmm. uh, i did have stints where you know for a few weeks that was all i was doing was focusing on a couple trips and some photography and stuff like that. And that was great, partly because I knew I was going to be doing right, something else. Right. So while I, it is, a, I think, a very distinct possibility if I wanted to take it into a full-time business, that's not something that's ever appealed to me or ever been the reason for mm-hmm. it. And a big theme of Nina Near and Far is that you can travel, you can do things, and you can enjoy your life while pursuing your career or academics. And that's what I try to show with people. Mm-hmm. So it would also probably be a little bit weird if I suddenly abandoned my career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't really match. Um, I'm interested, like, so when you when you go places, I think of a, a very common criticism that I hear, whether it's from older people who or people who just don't engage in social media in, in some of the same way. Like, I have a couple friends that are, you know, like, why do you have to take a picture everywhere you go or something. And then you see people on the more extreme end, like where they're like documenting everything, you know, like they're on their phone at dinner, like do do do. Like, do you find like it, it hard? Like, do you try to separate yourself then from, I want to be in the moment. I want to be in nature. I want to do all this stuff. And I don't necessarily have to document everything I do. Like, do you find like it hard to balance that type of stuff? Or do you find it on your mind a lot? I used to find it harder than I do now. As I become a better photographer, I actually take less pictures than I used to, like Mm. dramatically so, because I'm better at seeing what will actually make a good photo. So I will go on hikes or trips and I'll even have friends or my boyfriend saying like, do we need a picture of this? I'm like, that's not a good photo. So I'm not worried about that Mm. right now. Whereas before I was taking pictures of everything and then I was home, like sifting through 300 photos of my dinner that I was never (laughs) going to use. So it's gotten, I, I think, easier. And I don't really find that while I'm out traveling that I think about it too much because I just also love taking pictures. Like I, I love mm-hmm. photographing. The one thing I will do is sometimes I'll, I'll think of something and 
and be like, oh, that's actually like a really good tip or a good piece of information. And I'll jot it into the notes app of my phone. But as soon as I do that, it's like no longer top of mind for me. It's something I'm going to go back to when I get home and include in my content. So I think as soon as I think of something, I either take the picture or I write it down and then I just go right back to enjoying what I was doing. Okay. That's a good mindset. Um, it's interesting because when, when we were, you know, talking about setting this up and what are some of your interests, what are some of the stuff we could talk about? Um, you mentioned balance and you, you just mentioned it again is, you know, while you're in school, balancing all these different aspects of your life and, and making it all work and that it can work. Where did you, when did that become a priority in your life to sort of find out how to balance your, your whole life? You know, it took me like a moment of crisis to try to, to reach a point where I'm like, okay, like I need to find a way to make this all work in a, in a way that's, you know, can, can sustain. Um, and I find that a lot of people, people have to kind of hit that rock bottom and be like, okay, now I need to reevaluate. Like I'm hoping for a more positive and inspirational story <laughs> from your side of it to, to find this, but where did that become sort of a, a passion and a goal of yours? combination of of inspirational story and a, a little bit of a bottom Darn kind of it, experience unfortunately that. um i've always done a lot of things mm -hmm. so partly i've always needed to balance multiple activities when i was in high school i was an elite athlete and at one point even racing for the national team so i was a full-time high school student and i was racing and so i had to keep on top of these things so you had to be very effective and productive with schoolwork to be able to then go and train for three hours every night. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that kept me pretty busy. And it just shifted later on. So when I wasn't competing anymore, I was then uh, in school full time and also working. So I had work and uh, and schoolwork to do. So it was kind of a forced schedule thing. I did get a little bit more chill in terms of which things I was trying to balance after I had a concussion. Okay. Yeah. So mm. when you have a concussion, you suddenly realize how loud and bright and annoying everything is. <laughs> really just everything. Yeah. Like the grocery store is a nightmare when you have a concussion. It's It becomes the worst thing in the world. And so after having that experience, a lot of things just became less appealing, less important feeling than they had been before. So I think it's always been something I've been trying to do is juggle a mm -hmm. few activities, but it's been in the last few years that it's been a bit calmer and a bit more about juggling things that were work, career goals versus things that I just enjoyed mm -hmm. doing for myself. Mm -hmm. What sport were you competing in? I was a cyclist. Really? Yeah. And I got the concussion during yoga. Completely unrelated. Oh my God. Yeah. No, I've had four <laughs> concussions and three of them were stupid. Oh, just yeah. Just stupid mistakes. <laughs> yep. Like tripping over my own feet, trying to do something and like knocking myself out. I've had two. Uh, the first one, I was in elementary school. I was 12. And some of the kids on the playground were picking each other up and spinning them through the air. And someone's feet collided with my head. Oh. So that was number one. And that was back when we sent kids to back to school the very next day. So yeah, yeah. that was not great. Uh, but yeah, number two was uh, 2017. I was in a yoga class and I just, I had been sick the week before. And I thought I was feeling better, but apparently I wasn't as better as I thought because I fainted in yoga and I hit my head on the floor. <sighs> that one was a lot more severe. I was off work for seven months. Wow, really? Yeah, it was, do you, it was um, a while. Do you f still like have sort of that post-concussion 
No, not at all. Okay, that's good. Not at all. Yeah. I was in a situation where I could take all of that time off work. I also, fortunately, having been in a neuroscience and mental health undergrad, had the kind of professors who understood and treated it like a real thing and yeah. were very supportive. Yeah. And that kind of stuff made it possible for me to take the full recovery time that I needed so that I don't have any long-term symptoms. Right. I guess my first one, scary enough, was 13 years ago. Okay. No, less than that. 10 years, 17. So about 10 years ago. Okay, 10 years ago. Um, and like, I knocked myself out and, and got up and knocked myself out again because I tried to stand up too fast and then passed out again. Um, but I remember because we knew what concussions were, but it was still under that, especially, you know, I don't, I don't know if you had the same mindset, but like I, I played hockey, I was sports, sports, sports. I was fine, you know, as soon as like I, I slept the, the next day and ready ready to go, as I use air quotes, but got back on the ice. And uh, I, I, I was extremely fortunate that I haven't... F- I never like experienced really anything after that, but like knocking yourself out and then going on the ice in two days. Like mm, I look back at that. I'm like, Ryan, man, yeah, what are you doing? Pretty common yeah. reaction. Um, no, when I had my concussion in 2017, I wasn't in any competitive sports by that point. It was initially misdiagnosed, which was part of the reason it got so bad. So I got my concussion I called in sick to work the next day and then I just kept going to work in school and about a month later I blacked out during a midterm and went back to the hospital and I knew something was wrong so I demanded that I be referred to a specialist and when I saw the specialist they were like what have you been doing like you need rest you have a concussion I was like well nobody told me and I was too out of it to self-diagnose at that Mm -hmm, stage mm -hmm. um so you know you said you demanded not to get too much off track here but i'm just interested because um were you were they kind of like dismissive in a way like when you go they in they told like, me i was probably having a panic attack or a nervous breakdown so the reason i bring it up is just i've had um several people on the podcast now and it usually is predominantly women who come with this experience where they go into the the er with something and you know they're constantly dismissed and um, put away and then one of them had Lyme disease one of them was 85 pounds and and starving and and trying to reach out I just find that so it's not fascinating in a good way but just being like I hear that story a lot and especially with young women oh and it the there's empirical evidence to support that that this is a problem and that this does happen it's it's unfortunately quite common Mm -hmm with women in particular through all ages and women can be living with diseases for a very, very, very long time before they get the the help that really they need and and they will often, often be dismissed. Yeah. I had a friend took 27 years to get a, well, I mean, she's 27, but uh, endometriosis and was like struggling with it for years Yeah, that's until finally got a, someone to care and listen and then, and take them in. Um, Is that part of like, so you, you know, um, now getting back to it a little bit, but like you're, you you took neuroscience, mental health, and stuff like that. Is that part of some of the conversations you're having in school? Maybe in your research, in your your groups, you know, the 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 circles of in mental health. You know, you know, I'm involved with it, but I'm not on the science side of it. And what's actually happening in, in clinical and you know people who are taking this as a profession? Like, is that like part of the conversation in, in a way? 
that idea of going into the hospital yeah, and, and, be, like, and like being not dismissed. being listened like, to. I'm sure with mental health, like that's almost top one. Of, yeah, of being it, dis- it dis- does. Dismissed. It does come up for sure. I um, have heard that story from other people um, around both mental illnesses and physical injuries. It certainly is an issue. They... I mean, a hospital's priority is is really to get people in and out quickly, right. often, yeah. and so it can it can take some pushback on on your part to mm-hmm. get the right care. It's more something that we, those of us who have that education, kind of all know about this problem. So I've certainly have encouraged people to advocate for themselves. Yeah, I've heard be your own advocate. Uh, yeah, numerous times. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, people can criticize being a WebMD doctor all they want, but sometimes you need to get some information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a friend who, um, she just, her cancer went into remission, but it got to stage four because she kept going in and like with that, all it was with like back pain and I'm tired mm-hmm. and it turned it out to be, uh, I want to say non Hodgkin's or Hodgkin's lymphoma, one okay. of the two, but that it got to stage four because it kept being dismissed into the point where they finally found it, but then it's like, oh, like it's progressed so, so far. And yeah. that, that was one of her messages. You got to be your own advocate if things continue to go wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm concerned, but not surprised in necessarily, I don't put this on doctors and nurses. I put this on the system more mm-hmm. if I'm, if we're, I were to lay criticism, just because, you know, everyone knows that it's, overcrowded in the ERs and that's been a discussion talking point for years and years and years and the funding and I mean get into the whole PC government thing and all that but it's a it's a tough problem and you hear people in America talking about you know Canada's free health care it's like well we we definitely have our problems too oh absolutely um I don't think there's much waiting to do in America when you go to a hospital unless you know no and part of that is that with the government here responsible for those funds that go into health care you can't just walk in and pay big bucks to get the service mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. testing that you have decided you need. Well, I mean, at some point you can. I know people who've gone to Quebec and just ordered their own MRIs and, and scans and stuff like that. So you, you do have that option if you have the, the money available right. to do that. But it's not it's not our typical practice here. You're expected to go and follow their system and their protocol, which is ultimately going to be towards the cheapest option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. How did you get in this mental health thing um, with the with school? Was there something that kind of pushed you along into that? Um, was it just kind of you found it? You know, I find a lot of people when I talk to them about mental health and doctors or addiction counselors or psychotherapy, whatever way they get into it, it always started with I knew somebody, I had it. They 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 wanted to make a difference in it. Was is it something similar? Actually, a bit different for me. The mental health part of my degree was a byproduct of me wanting to be in neuroscience. It is definitely something that I value having immensely and that made me a more compassionate person Mm -hmm. understanding mental health. But I was interested in neuroscience at the time that I entered the degree. I wanted to do sports neuroscience, so using neuroscience and physiological testing to improve athletic performance. Okay, which would make sense as an athlete. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to do then, not something I'm interested in anymore. Uh, but so that's why I went into it. But then because it was a neuroscience and mental health degree, a lot of our courses were based on understanding different mental illnesses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That 
I mean, the sport thing would have been really fascinating, though. That's a really cool science. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much TV you, you watch, but when they talk about uh, just in general sports science and when they dissect like a really good athlete and what they do, that's so much better. But when I think about neuroscience and, you know, those elite performers who think whatever the game is so much differently and how mm-hmm. their brain works, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, I came to a realization at one point that athletes wasn't the group that I wanted to work with. And mm-hmm. I discovered that I really had a passion for organization and organizational behavior. So more on the workplace side. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. same idea, but I, I want to take that neuroscience understanding and apply it to helping people succeed mm-hmm. at work. Yeah, which that's interesting to me because you don't get a lot of young people who think that way, right? Like that, that what, you know, when you, what do you want to do when you grow up? Oh, I want to help workplace mental health and efficiencies and stuff right like (laughs) that's not something that comes up and like you said you you fall into it but it's interesting that I mean I'm sure you know a lot of people who are in it because that's where you are but coming from mine who's like my point of view that's totally out of it like I don't see anyone taking an interest really in that subject minus a few total third parties like people who just like had a breakdown at work and now we're on like a totally different path advocating from it right like not from an actual science perspective Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what are some of the types of things that you're you're studying that you're you're learning that's being brought up in in some of these discussions when it comes to the workplace and the mental health yeah i'm just getting started in my master's degree right now i started two months ago so still in the early phases phases Mm -hmm. of sorting out my own research I'm starting to look at some theories of workplace stress and how we can develop those further to get a, a better understanding, a more specific understanding of what people are experiencing at work. I'm also hoping to do some, either in practice or theoretically, some more cross-disciplinary research okay. to connect it back to that internal experience, what's going on in the brain. So just getting started in the program, though, there is... Um, a grant that a few people are working on, which is about workplace mental health specifically. So I do work with people who are looking at uh, different components of things like what happens when you disclose a mental illness? What is it like to be a manager of people with mental illnesses? Mm -hmm. What is it like to be at work? What is it like to go on leave and come back? We don't know what they're going to find yet Mm -hmm. in that research, just getting going on, on some of that, but there's definitely... That's that's where the research is, is going into right. better understanding and more specifically understanding those things. Burnout is also a really big yep. trend in research. Mm-hmm. I was just at a leadership conference this past weekend, and I went to a session on burnout in, in leadership and in the workplace. It's a an increasing concern. Yeah, a lot to dissect from that. Um, one of the points I wanted to bring up, though, is I started um, managing people and hiring people, I would say, like f- about four years ago when I started uh, everyone has to fill out like a little sheet and it will it'll say do you have a disability and most of the time it was always no 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 now within I would say the past year and a half people are checking off disability and putting like a, like depression or anxiety um, mental illness and they're putting that in the disability box and I've only noticed that within the last year and a half mm-hmm. that people are putting that and actually disclosing it, um, which I just I found interesting. I'm like, I wonder where that kind of shift half where that shift happened. Yeah, it's becoming less taboo. Having been in a neuroscience and mental health undergrad, it's probably a little bit harder for me to identify 
when or why that started to happen because I was in a program where it was always okay. Right, yeah. And I actually find the rest of the world still quite closed off to it. Like, it was quite a shocker to me when I started going to um, other conferences that were a little bit more, like, leadership or work-based where people were like, well, no, you can't disclose that kind of stuff. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, Mike, one classmate has this, the other classmate is dealing with this, and people would just talk about it in my program. And it was just... It was just part of the conversation, yeah. you know. Someone would show up to class and be like, hey, can you send me the notes? My anxiety was really bad on Tuesday and I couldn't come to class. And that was just the way it was. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know when or why that, that shift happens. Uh, now that I'm on social media, I can certainly see it happening in campaigns and conversations mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Still probably a long way to go, but I think it is good that people are getting more comfortable sharing. Yeah. I mean, I've always been open um, with my employer and it's never been a problem. But what's interesting to me is um, I would all I would be granted it for sure. But like, I would never take a mental health sick day, okay. even on my worst days. And I don't know why. I think there's still sort of a, a stigma around it where you're seen as, you know, you're not a hard worker. You're weak. You're, you know, all the all those types of things. And. As, as much as sometimes it would benefit me, it's like I also don't want to have that attached to my name. It's it's a weird feeling. Mm. And I'm so vocal about it. Like everyone who listens to the podcast knows how vocal I am about mental health. I talk about it social media. I give speeches on it. But when it comes to me booking off a mental health day, would I've never even considered it. Um, mm. it just It's like tough it out. You, there's still a bit of a tough it out mentality for for me and no one's put that on me which is the weirdest thing it's, right like, like I put it's it on myself thing yeah that you've decided on yeah it's, yeah it's there's definitely still a lot of that especially in the private sector mm-hmm. um because you have a mix of there there's an older generation that have that mentality and i mean that's not saying anyone is to blame for that but i just it is interesting to me and i i think there's a lot of people who are still in the same boat that they just don't feel right you know yeah that makes sense yeah so that's a that's a big thing um what do you find i mean like you're in the beginning of your research so i don't know how much you can answer it scientifically but maybe opinion wise um what are some of these factors that are leading to to burnout because like you said that's a a huge topic now Mm -hmm. um there's you know looking at from my point of view you you kind of live a double life in a lot of ways where you have your job and and you have a side project where it's social media, like, you know, just not even having to be like a business or anything, just being on social media. Um, You know, there's a lot more demanded on the modern day worker, I think. Absolutely. um, Of what's expected. There's kind of constant cuts Mm -hmm. and and more and more work and less and less time in the day. So you end up working longer. And then there's society's way of being like, you hustled like great job Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh yeah I don't don't know your thoughts on that so empirically there is a lot of research on it but I do find the existing research is a little bit superficial and that it's kind of just what you would expect Mm -hmm. like if you work too much you get burned out (laughs) if teachers have too many kids in their classrooms they're more likely to get burned out so it's a topic that I think needs to be looked at in greater detail detail because you know some people do work a lot and they don't experience burnout Mm. um some people are 
doing less or even not in a phase where it's that it's too much. It's that they're bored and they're experiencing burnout. So there's all kinds of different ways that it manifests. But burnout is characterized by emotional exhaustion, depersonalization or cynicism. So kind of separating separating yourself from work or from your from your peers and a diminished sense of personal accomplishment. So those are the three things that that go with burnout. And the things that I see are, for one thing, people have just set these really crazy expectations of themselves Mm -hmm. that often seem to be coming from nowhere in particular. Like nobody actually told you you have to do this, but we've kind of all decided as a culture, this is how many hours, this is how much you're going to produce, this is how much you're going to do. And so we're inadvertently putting it onto each other to to do more, to stay late. Also, uh, one of the things I think is missed a lot but is really important is that we don't have nearly as many productive work hours in a day as people think we do. There's <laughs> yeah. a lot of evidence that you get about five hours, and that's if you've really pushed yourself to be really productive. Mm-hmm. And then you can spend a few more hours doing like some tasks and some organizing. But at some point, like on an 18-hour day, you're not being effective. You're just getting tired. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it's coming from a lot of different places, and I think it really depends on the person. Some people are placing a lot of emotional demands on themselves. Some people are remaining in organizations, workplaces, environments that they're not actually connected to anymore. Be that from a sense of obligation or from a sense of pressure that they need to buff up their resume or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. You can't can't really say for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think. The biggest thing is that people are just trying to do too much and not necessarily too much of the right things. We also, ha- and when I say not necessarily the right things, it's, you know, in undergrad, one of the things I saw people doing a lot was just piling their plates high with clubs and extracurriculars and all of these different activities. And there comes a point where doing more doesn't actually change the way people see you. Mm-hmm. Like you've done enough. You are now an accomplished individual. You're good. And yet people keep going and they keep trying to do more and they keep trying to add to it. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever gotten, kind of like what I live by and what I think has helped to protect me against something like burnout is in second year, I had a professor who around the time of the midterm, he said, if you get higher than 92%, you work too hard. He said 90% to 100% is an A+. Plus. That's the grade. And when your transcript gets printed out, that's the grade. Whether you got 90 or 96 or 100%, you still get an A+. Plus. So there's that cutoff point where you doing more doesn't make a difference. And that's the line I kind of try to hmm, tread is how can I do good work? How can I do excellent work even? But when will it not matter anymore? So... I try to watch for that point where me pushing myself further or burning my brain harder is not going to make a bigger difference. And that's when I try to stop and move on to something else or it's time to take a break or Mm -hmm. whatever it is that I need. Yeah. Um, University is kind of like where it seems to start in a way. Often, Um, yeah. You know, that that hustle mentality, that competitive – got to get ahead, got to do this, do that. You know, I remember back, I, I did college first, but then I went to university and I was working here uh, for free. Mm-hmm. So 
So okay. I was balancing my time and then had to have a job to, to pay for it. And like, I mean, it all worked out, but I had to let one of those things go because both of them were, all of them were eating up too much of my, mm-hmm. my energy. And I had a, a good quote that, um, I mean, it's pretty common, but like basically the, the premise of this idea is that, you know, you start your day with a hundred fuel and in, in your gas and you think of it like a video game and everything you do takes energy off and you know once you start doing too much you start conserving the energy and and maybe areas you may want to do to make room for the other things mm-hmm. that you, you know you might have to do or that you think you need and that i've kind of have a similar i have but i learned that a little bit of a, a hard way where i was like right. you know and i think it I don't know if I burnt out necessarily or was experiencing symptoms, but um, it, it's hard to recognize when you're when you're in the thick of things until you hit that bottom point, unfortunately. And yeah. that's right. You're just trying to do whatever you can. And then, um, you know, you mentioned social media, which I honestly think in the grand scheme of things, social media is a blessing. But then you also have that that work hard attitude being posted on social media that you know, you compare yourself to others and it's almost for a lot of people, it's really hard not to do that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's your friends, the people you went, grew up with, it's people, you know, uh, well, you know, Joanne's making $70,000 a year and I'm only making 35 and I work harder. This is both cra- like, yeah, I'll work harder now and do this and that. Right. And it's just, we, we created this, yeah, society where we, we base ourselves on, on our output. And it's it's interesting where we put that output. Right. Um, it's something I'm, I'm very conscious of with social media because I know that there's so much talk and a little bit of evidence towards the idea that social media can be not the best thing for mental health. So as a creator, it's something I'm very aware of is that I never want to create content in a way that is going to create that for someone else, like mm-hmm. that is going to make... It seemed like I'm doing something that's inaccessible to them or that they can't benefit from and that's going to make that a negative comparison other for them. And, I mean, I've been there with social media, too, where I'm feeling like I need to keep up and I need to get things done. But what I try to remind myself is that ultimately nobody but me knows what I was planning to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if I decided I was going to post five photos this week and I post two really good pictures and I feel crappy about it, that's on me. You have no idea that I was planning on posting five photos, mm-hmm. right? Like, so we kind of set these bars for ourselves that other people don't know about and are not checking on for us yeah. too. And yeah. and so that's what I try to remind myself is that ultimately nobody nobody knows what it is that I thought I was going to do. They only know what I actually do. And when it comes to the idea of comparing yourself on social media, I mean, probably easier said than done, but there is that unfollow button and you just got to let that go sometimes. I've had to do it with some of my, what had been some of my favorite accounts because I realized that I was looking on there and I would get stuck and just staring at it and being like, oh, my account doesn't look as good as so-and-so. And you just have to admit to yourself that you're doing that and unfollow and mm-hmm. move on. Um, do you find it hard? With social media, I find a lot of it becomes by i'm going to use the term by the book that there's a certain way to succeed we talked a little about earlier but i'm wondering your take that you know do we have 
authenticity when it comes to social media? Like, do you feel you're being authentic to your audience or is there kind of like a, a bit of a, a wall you put up as well that like you don't let yourself fall in? Um, one of my big things with social media is like, I always want to be true to myself no matter what I'm doing. So if I'm shitty, I'm doing great things, like whatever it is, like I'll probably post about it. Um, and I always say when it comes to creating content, I, I feel just the space, no matter what it is, is it's usually starving of authenticity. Like people are just kind of vanilla wallpaper type mm -hmm. stuff, no matter what it is. Like, I'm just wondering as a, a, a content creator, like do you find that as well? Like, do you try to branch so, yourself off? So people say this to me a lot about social media, that that's what they find on it and that's what they see. And I don't really know why this is, but that hasn't been my experience. Okay. And it might just be the people that I've chosen to follow or keep following. But I feel like the people I follow are, like, sincerely some pretty cool people. Mm -hmm. um, often I get to know them. I mean, some of my closest friends are people that I met over Instagram and now hang out with and go out and take pictures with. And even the really big account content creators that I follow who are up in the 200, 300,000 people are the kind of people who, if I send them a message and I'm like, Hey, I really love the effect in this photo. Like, how did you do it? They'll write me back and they'll say, Oh really? Oh yeah. That's great. Um, and maybe it comes partly from that willingness to unfollow. Uh, but one of the things that I, pay attention to when I start following someone is like, I mean, I usually start following someone for photos. That's usually what it is. You see pretty pictures or some kind of information that you want. And this is why you follow. But I find pretty quickly within about four to five posts, you find out if that's all they're going to be offering or if it's going to be a little bit more honest than mm -hmm. that. And if there's content that I can't really connect with or respond to or reply to, then the next time it comes in my feed, that I'll often have forgotten who that person was even, and I'll end up just kind of hitting the unfollow button and letting it go. So what that means is that I actually do know people in many of the accounts that I follow, or at least feel that I could reach out and ask questions for the ones who I follow, but would not go so far as to say that they're like friends or mm -hmm, anything. Mm -hmm. So that hasn't been my experience. I, now, of course, people can completely alter who they are on social media. Mm -hmm. They could fake all kinds of things. I don't really get that sense. I've taken a look online at some of the articles, though, that come out about influencers and the top influencers and stuff like that. And I'll scroll through it and I'll see these accounts. And often you're seeing, like, all the exact same thing. And it's, like, the pretty girl and the one-line caption with two hashtags. And it's very specific way of doing mm -hmm. content over and over and over again and I find it so bland and so uninteresting and so those aren't the accounts that I follow but I could see that if that was something that I was following a lot I would probably feel a lot differently about social yeah. media it's it's turned it's almost turned in well it has influencer into a, a mocked uh like negative word oh definitely. whereas before that like people got big because they're pushing good content obviously you know and maybe they made product reviews or whatever it was but people actually took them at their word and that's why they were following them but now mm -hmm. like most of society it's a most popular contest or it's a best looking con contest and I think you're right like that's where it kind of falls you know into those two separate categories 
You think I I feel you have a very strong mind. I mean, we've only got to know each other, but you seem to like really think about these things very clearly and concisely. It's just unfortunate that so many other people that they get trapped in that that little bubble and you know, it it starts to leak out into to other areas of their life. And I know it happened for me. Like I got on this thing where I became obsessed with it, what was being said on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden like the world around me was these absurd takes on Twitter and like I it took someone like snapping me out of it and like oh wow having to go back to like therapy and like talk it out just because it was but like, it does like it, it if you're on it too much or if you don't have the right mindset or if you're I, I'm going to use the word compromise because I was vulnerable at the time with mm-hmm. certain things in my life but then like that started to take over and then it became obsessed with it well and that's a big issue with social media too there was actually a study published um out of oxford university that found that using social media for a couple hours a day wasn't detrimental to mental health if you were not already starting with some kind of mental health challenge Mm, so if you're coming in to social media and you're already in a state where you're a bit more vulnerable or maybe experiencing some depression or some anxiety now we have a space that lends itself very well to comparison and to furthering that and to perpetuating it. Mm-hmm. So the evidence that has come out is not so much that it's causing mental health issues so much as it can make them worse, exacerbate them for mm-hmm. people or make it harder for people who are already struggling. Yeah. No. <laughs> First-hand experience. Absolutely. That's, yeah. It's a, it's a good way to put it. Um, I also, though, there's. I read a. It was an article. Wouldn't be been a book, but uh, do you know who Jonathan had had his H A I D T? He put. He wrote an article, uh, and he also published a book and everything. He has some TED talks and all that stuff. He uh, basically was making um, some cases for social media and the rise of like depression and anxiety, and especially in young people, mm-hmm. and especially in young girls yeah. 12 to 13 that now that they're being brought up in this in this sphere with which we have no way to navigate uh we've never been through it before as a as a society and we don't know the long-term effects of it we're starting to see maybe a little bit for people you know mine and your age because we were in high school and went into early adulthood but the rise of you know depression anxiety uh suicide unfortunately like it's it's hitting young people hard and like i don't know where to i mean if they i'm sure if they listen to you and had that mind i'm not just trying to like pump your tires but like that mindset of hitting the unfollow button or taking that conscious effort to making putting good content in your feed instead of bad content and bad information like would help but they get trapped yeah and and that's the difficulty like People are often surprised how much I love social media because of my background, but I I do. I love being on social media. I love the photos and the creativity and the interesting things that I see in my Instagram feed, but I've curated it to be Mm -hmm. that way. And I even, I love some of the people that I know. Like, like I said, we are actually friends with some of these people. There are a couple women in particular that I spend a lot of time with. We get together every few weeks. Uh, Sometimes big groups of us will have photography get togethers and we all go out and we take photos and I really found a great community through yeah. Instagram. And at no point am I scrolling through my feed and scrolling past repetitive photos or body comparison type photos or anything that's making me feel not 
not good. And I think, I think though that social media is an avenue for something that already existed. I mean, for young girls and teenagers, now we have social media, so it is a much bigger volume that we have access to compare ourselves to. Like, you can literally just click around and find hundreds of people within a couple of minutes Mm -hmm. that you could look at and then start to think negatively about yourself. But I think that's always been a challenge for teenagers in particular. It just used to be magazines, and it didn't used to right. be as readily available right. and as as en masse as it is now. I think the other thing for young people when it comes to these mental health issues is there's some much bigger issues at play, too, with the future and the outlook for them being a little bit bleak. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we see a lot in in universities, and I've seen it even just in the time that I've been there because my undergrad... Um, took me a little bit longer. It took six years. I did some part-time semesters. And from the time that I started to now, seven years later, I've seen the level of anxiousness in students increasing. They feel this panic around getting the grade that they need because they need to get the grades they need to get the jobs they need to get the down payments. They need. Like it's, there's just a lot of stress around what's going to happen to people. And they're constantly being exposed to information about how they are not going to be able to afford houses. They are not going to be able to get a job. And, oh, by the way, you're lazy for not being able to do those things. And the world's going to end with the climate crisis. Exactly. We're all going to melt anyways. So what are you supposed to do? So social media is a part of it. And I do think it exacerbates it. But I think there's also some some bigger issues Mm -hmm. that even without social media, I think people would still probably be struggling with. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to put a big question to you then. Um, you were just elected president of the world. Okay. Say. You're now tasked with solving this problem, you know, whether it's we're looking at the burnout, we're just looking at the mental health of society, basically. Um, we've talked about all these kind of issues. Like, what do you think, or in your opinion, like, would you do to try to make this better for all of us? Because I always say, like, right now we're on a course... And and this is just me talking, like, maybe it's been like this forever, and it's just been a cycle, and people just get through it and go off and whatever. But to me, it looks like we're at a point where we're going to reach reach a, an end point where it's not going to be sustainable. How would you structure some things to to help, especially with the mental health problem? I'm not going to get into economics and <laughs> politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when we're talking about mental health of, like, society as a whole... Ooh, there's so many different ways to answer that question and just so many different things to think about. And unfortunately, I don't think that it necessarily comes down to some kind of policy. I mean, how mm-hmm. do you get people to stop putting undue pressure on one another? And some of our biggest leaders right now really enforce these like 80-hour work weeks and things like that. I think... Some things that could be put into place that would be like president of the world, a bold tasks um, <laughs> is, you know, I think it's in France where they have that it's it's illegal to contact employees when they're not at work. Yeah, I love that one. Things like that that keep yeah. people that let them actually detach from work. 
What's your thought on like a, a four-day work week, three-day weekend or some sort oh, of yeah. variation of that? Like- Absolutely. Uh, to be completely honest, um, I think people – I think just whenever people want to work is actually better. And You think so? Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because I think that if – well, depending on what the motive was, if it's the motive of some – companies take now where they're doing that time freedom thing so that they can suck more out of people then that's only going to hurt them because then when you give people the freedom to put in 100 hours and they feel pressured to do it they're going to do it mm-hmm. but if it's sincerely about just wanting people to be engaged and interested in their work and letting people find out what works for them then I think that could be a really good thing especially if they can fully disconnect when they want to so, like, what I mean by that is I've discovered, being in a master's degree, um, I don't like to start work until about noon. I had forced myself to be a morning person all my life because you're supposed to be a morning person. Yeah. Morning people are productive. Turns out I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I like to go to the gym at, like, 8. I get home at, like, 9. I kick around. I watch Netflix. I pretend I'm going to start doing work, and then I don't. And I start working around noon usually like a hot lunch and then I get to work and I work from about noon to five and I take a dinner break for a couple hours and I work from seven to ten and I do that sometimes on the weekend and then I'll take a day off sometime during the week so I basically every four or five days I'm making sure that I have a day off off Mm -hmm. but um and some days it's like or some weeks it's like three days off and it's just where I'm at that week and other weeks I work for six days straight. And then I'm like, no, you actually have to take a day off. You have to recoup. But the time schedule, I mean, I, I dread the day that I'm going to have to abide by a nine to five schedule because I've discovered just how happy I am going to bed at midnight, waking up at eight and working this weird, like noon to 10 ish mm-hmm. schedule with a dinner break. That's interesting. Yeah. But I have that because I know what I need to do for work. But the deadlines are long-term enough that I can kind of plan them in myself. I also have a really fantastic supervisor and great supports. And I don't have anybody breathing down my back asking me how I'm going to innovate or save the world or drive revenue for a company or, some, or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It would be a huge pressure. So I think I'm all, I'm all for a four-day work week if that's what works for people. But if someone else wants a five-day work week... And they want to show up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and work until 10 p.m. because that's what works for them. That sounds good to me, too. And if hmm. someone is really having a pumped-up week and they want to come in on a Saturday, to me, I'm like, if that works for someone, then let them. If you're going to respect the time when they do want to take a break. Right. Is anyone trying? Do you know if anyone trying that right now? Like that sort of work when you want? Like some companies do, hmm. um, especially as remote work becomes more popular. Yeah, because some companies now are not really keeping track of when people are doing things; they're just keeping track of whether or not they've logged on and for how many hours. And uh, I do have friends who they just they work when they work, and they seem very happy with it. Yeah, that seems like a you know a much. I've never, I've never heard of it like that way. Um, so that's interesting because that, yeah, you know, I'm not a morning person either, but now all yeah. of a sudden I'm waking up at 6 a.m. and I'm like, okay, like now yeah. I'm going <laughs> to do this and get to work by, by 8 and, and work. And sometimes I'm here till 7 or 8, depending on the day. Um, yeah, I think it, it, yeah. Just, it, it matters if you let people have that contrast, though. If somebody... <clears throat> 
then leaves the office and it's their off time, don't keep, don't call them seven times. You know, don't demand that you reach them when they're not working. Like, you know, wait. And I think there's this massive sense of urgency around school, work, and all of these different tasks that we do where everything has to be instant now. And it often doesn't. Like, I, I get emails and people will be like, ASAP. And I'm like, this really is not an it's not ASAP, ASAP for kind me. of thing. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just not that important. It's Yeah, that's a, a big one. And especially when you get pressure. F it's not even necessarily pressure, but, like, someone who's higher up asks you for something. I know myself, like, they didn't ask, like, I need this in five minutes, but, like, I will drop whatever I'm doing. Oh, yeah. And be like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'll work on it right there and then. Yeah. And I think that's just a... That's a part of the whole culture, too, where, you know, you got to suck up or, or please the higher up so they notice you and notice your name and know you're a hard worker and, and will hopefully give you that promotion or that raise you asked for. Mm -hmm. And it's all sort of pandering and, and then, but you put it in a great spot and it was something I've been contemplating a lot as I progress is I'm going to bust my ass, say, and I make the company an extra million dollars. I don't get any of that million dollars. I get the same thing I got if... I get a hundred thousand. It kind of goes to that, you know, that A, or yeah. that A plus idea. Well, and I think it's it can be a challenging thing to figure out, but yeah. I think it's important to identify when your effort matters and when it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Because what I see is a lot of people putting in overtime and extras that are not actually beneficial, or it's there's nothing sadder to than seeing people put in extra effort in the wrong area when really someone wants something else mm -hmm. and that's something I was saying it when I was at a, a conference over the past weekend people were talking about what it is you do to prevent burnout and a big thing for me has been choosing who I work with and if I have the choice I don't work with people who don't tell me what they expect and I've been in situations where you've you know had management being like well you know you need to figure it out no why if you have some agenda I would like to know it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a I'm a good worker. I'm a high performing person. If I know what to do, I'm happy to do it. But we like to make people guess mm -hmm. often. So there's that, and I also really believe in finding people that will listen to you when you say you need a day off or you can't do something. I went to um, so I have I have a, a research paper. We just found out this morning it's actually going to be published in a manuscript. So it came a really long way, which or it's going to be published in a journal. So it came a really long way, and that's great. And when we first started it, we wanted to move really quickly to do some data collection before a kind of a window opportunity closed. And so I was really pushing to get some stuff done for ethics approval. And I just couldn't. Like, I just could not get everything done. And so I emailed my supervisor and I said, I can't get all of this stuff done. And it was a little bit of a, not test, but I was curious to see what she was going to say. And had it, had it been the case where, I'd gotten an answer back being like, well, you have to. Too bad. Very unlikely that I would have continued that work. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. in this case, my supervisor was a wonderful woman. And instead, we sat down and we said, let's make a plan. Let's find a way to do this. What are we going to do differently? And I think it's important when you have the opportunity to work with people who will respect your boundaries and work with you and give you clear expectations to choose that. If you have the option, I know that's not always available. Yeah. We don't always get to choose who we work for, but sometimes we do. And sometimes even in our own 
personal lives and in our hobbies, we have that option or we can voice that that's what we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely like great, but yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah. Especially working, you know, private sector, you have to work with a, Oh, I'm not, I'm sure it's not different from a group or, or whatever, but just coming from experience. Yeah. Like, it's not always easy to tell someone who's really high up to be like, hey, I want a clear expectation. You know what I mean? It's if they're if they're not going, it just, it always depends on the person. You're right. Yeah. You need to try to surround yourself with good people. And um, if you can or someone's difficult and, you know, you just try to I've learned to try to. It's pick the battle you want to die on. Sometimes yes. it's you, you just give in because you know the way they're going to be and you know the way you're going to be. And if you butt heads, it's not going to go well. So sometimes you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. And just, yep, no problem. Here you go. Whether you disagree. That's been a hard one for me to learn. Mm -hmm. But eventually, yeah, I, I definitely learned that instead of putting those battles up. Yeah. Um, that's difficult. Um, and again, it goes back to that point where you want to be seen as that hard worker and you want to, you don't want to be like, let people down or you don't want to let yourself down. So for you to be like, I can't get this all done. Whereas most people would have been like, I'm going to go bananas trying to figure out how to get this all done. But then I'm also going to have, you know, a negative attitude towards kind of everybody. I'm going to have some animosity that they're making me do this. I'm going to feel taken advantage of. And you get those like negative cynical things of the, of the burnout like symptoms which mm -hmm. is very interesting i wish i had a mind <laughs> like yours <laughs> to, to figure it out uh that's i don't have everything figured yeah, out i just yeah. <laughs> i've uh, i have been really fortunate to have really good people and when you choose to pursue yeah. a field of study like neuroscience and mental health and then my master's in management but my supervisor's research focuses on workplace mental health when you have people who prioritize that it's a lot easier definitely i'm mm -hmm. in a situation where i can say what I need and I have people who will respond and I know not everybody has that. So yeah, it, it's, but it's your research and your studies and the stuff you're going to put forward in your career. that will hopefully make that. For exactly. Other people too. Yeah. That'll, yeah. it'll go into the workplace and we'll get, you know, one of my biggest criticism is there's people who might be good with people and they might be, you know, high performers, good leaders, but they get thrust into the spotlight with no training, uh, especially on mental illness and health and, and whatever and how to deal with these things, right? So to have people who are interested in, in finding out what's going on, finding out the actual issues at hand, and then, you know, hopefully proposing policies or HR uh, directives and, and things that will go into, you know, the world mm -hmm. that'll help society better equip. You know, we're, we're learning more than we ever have before, you know, with the short work weeks, working from home, work-life balance. There are people who do give a shit about that, which is amazing. We're still really far behind. But, like, now that, you know, I bet 10, 15 years ago, no one would have been studying this uh, if at all, right? Like, it would Probably have been not. such a niche, niche topic. Um, so, it's like, it's great. Um one thing, just before we end it, I, I want to get some thoughts. I read an article and some some context around it. Um, when I originally wrote it or read the headline, it was talking about disbanding um, the notion of a meritocracy. And at first I was like, 
this is bull crap. Like we're never going to be able to get rid of that because you want the best people to, to go forward. And you know, you want the best people for a job and high performers, hard workers, all that stuff. I actually read it, which I know people, I read the article that outraged me at first and then it actually made a great point. So when they said end the meritocracy, it's kind of everything we talked about that when is good enough going to be good enough and that we don't have to reach that extra point of get that A plus, you know, 85 is a solid mark and that's what I'm going to put forward or you put that in business. And that was basically making the article, when is society going to be more equal and, you know, not reward the people who go bananas and then set that expectation, you know, working a hundred hours a week. And when are we just going to be like, you know what, you put in a good 40, like, congratulations. Like, I'm just wondering, you know, I think I know the answer, but like, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of like premise and thesis of a structural based society? Um, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, I haven't heard that word before, to be honest, a meritocracy, not, can you give me like a quick definition yeah, so, so I can make um, sure I'm on the right page Basically, here? it's a society culture that rewards, like you're rewarded based on your merit. So, okay. Like I said, like you're a hard worker, you know, you're, uh, and when I say hard worker, like basically the people who put the, the most effort in, obviously there's skill, there's other factors, but the mm -hmm. people who, who just kind of do that whole thing where we just, you, you go all out. And, and that's what kind of gets rewarded. I see you working 100 hours and that becomes the expectation. So if you're not working 100 hours, you're seen as a slacker. So it's, a, it's that type of the premise, like the people who put everything into it so get rewarded. If, if people are doing hard work and they're putting everything into it, I think it's great if people get rewarded. I think it's a problem if that expectation is put onto other people. There are some people who really love to work. One of the most popular leaders that it talks about right now is someone like Elon Musk. I did a mm -hmm. leadership course two years ago, and we had a workshop one day, and everybody had to pick a leader to talk about, present about, and like eight teams chose Elon Musk. <laughs> and this guy works like 80 hours a week, and this is his thing. And I don't know how he's doing mental health-wise, but mm -hmm. this is his thing, and it sounds like he loves it. And if that's you, and if that's what you want to do, that's great. I don't think it's an issue if people want to do a lot of work and they feel good about it. I think the issue kicks in if we say that that then applies to everybody else. Yeah. So if somebody wants to and they really, really want to put in an extra couple of hours every night because they love it, they're like in the moment, they really just want to keep working on it, that's fine. But if everybody else wants to clear out at 4.30, I think that needs to be okay too. And we need to just look at are we meeting the expectations and not necessarily being obsessed with how far can we surpass them. Yeah. And then that's kind of yeah. like the whole premise of it and why it doesn't create equality. And many issues in society are based on this this one idea of yeah, meritocracy. We have this big drive for innovation and new things and all of these developments. And I guess for me, I think it's important and it's cool if we come up with some new technology and we do some great stuff in our lifetime but ultimately i mean we're all going underground in the end and uh if you don't enjoy yourself while you're here then i mean what what are you doing is kind of my, my yeah. approach and i i mean i i am someone who you know i 
I got really good grades in undergrad. I have a couple scholarships. I have taken on some leadership roles in my master's degree. I do a lot of things. I do consider myself someone who's a fairly high performing individual, but I don't do it at the cost of myself. And I think if anything, it's allowed me to be more successful because I really focus on the things that I want to do and be good at rather than seeing how many things I can put on my plate. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I like that I get rewarded for my hard work, but I don't think that means somebody else should be frowned on. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think we'll end it there. Nina, thank you for coming in. Where can Thanks people find you? Me. You can find me on Instagram, Nina Near and Far. Uh, or if you're more of a businessy person, I'm on LinkedIn too with my uh, more of my academic stuff is Nina Nezdoli. Nezdoli. Uh, thank you. I look, I really, really truly look forward to the work you and, you know, your, your peers and, and what you guys are doing uh, to, to make the workplace a better place. You know, um, I'll, I'll be talking in uh, one coming up on November 14th at Invest Ottawa and, you know, it's a huge topic. It really is with with entrepreneurs, with like corporate, with government. Like no matter where you are and where you fall into what you choose to do to earn your your income, this everyone's recognizing. Like we said, like it's just it's not really sustainable right now. And what can we do about it? So your work is incredibly valuable, and I I look forward to seeing it all. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.